Lord, here we are, gathered here today to abide in your love. Lord, we pray. Lord, we are hungry and we are desperate to hear your message for us. Holy Spirit, bring conviction and bring transformation of the heart. Lord, may we change from the inside out. And may any attack of the enemy, Lord, we silence all the voices in Jesus' name. But Lord, we hear one voice. It is your word to us that is in store for us in this new day on this Sunday. So as you transition to the message, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all the hearts for those who are here listening, Lord, may be pleasing, Lord, in your sight, O Lord, for you alone are our rock and our redeemer and our savior. We thank you. We love you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. Pray all these things. In your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. God's people pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. 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 Let's all take our seat and let's just take this moment before we begin to greet our fellow neighbor at this time. I'm excited for today's message because I've been on this theme of the gospel, uh, the good news of what the Lord is trying to do in us and within us. And if the gospel is something that we do not understand, and if the gospel is not something that we have, then everything that we do in this life is meaningless, and we are hopeless. And continuing on with the book of Ruth, and continuing on with the message of the gospel that we share in our nursing home, with a family in the nursing home, I want to continue on, as last week we talked about Naomi in the book of Ruth. And I want to continue on and lay down more foundation on the gospel by using the book of Ruth. So the title of today's message is titled, The Gospel in the Book of Ruth. Amen and amen. amen. Our main passage here today is not in the book of Ruth, but it is found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. And the heading says, The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Starting with verse 1, let us begin our reading. It says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Did you know that the mother of Boaz was Rahab? Rahab, the prostitute that allowed the Israelites to come in. Remember with Joshua, with the 12 spies, they came in and she protected them. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. 
Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Boom. Rehoboam, the father of Abiah, Abiah, the father of Isa, Isa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shotil, Shotil the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Methan, Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah, and the total of 42 generations before Jesus came to be fully man and fully God. Last Sunday... As Naomi was mentioned in the book of Ruth, we're going to dive deeper in the book of Ruth today to better understand the gospel message, starting with Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus that is given and the name of Ruth and Boaz is mentioned. So today, let's talk about the gospel. The gospel. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, the gospel? And ask them, do you know it? Do you have it? Is it in you? Are you living it? Are you eating it? Amen, amen. The gospel is the good news. The good news. We shout it out from our rooftops. We say it to ourselves each and every single day to us, remind ourselves, and we know it within ourselves, the good news that we live each day joyfully, no matter how difficult the day may be, no matter how difficult the season may be, we have joy because we have the good news in us. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, the heading says, The war became flesh. I want us to remember John 1, John 3, and John 14. John 1, verse 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was what? The word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember Genesis, when God spoke the world into motion, into creation, he created man and woman with his Word, and the Word was God. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. It's introducing to us who? Jesus Christ. He was there in the beginning, fully man fully God. In him was life, and that life was a light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen and amen. So we understand from this passage alone, the gospel is introduced to us through who? Through only one individual, and his name is Jesus Christ, the light of all mankind. 
the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome this light. The evil will not overcome, will win over Christ. That's what it's saying. And because Christ lives in us, because we have the gospel, because we have the good news, darkness has no power over you, has no power over us as well. John 3, 16 to 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world, Jesus Christ, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So how can we be saved in this life, in this one life that we have? Is through who? It's through Jesus Christ. God sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to save the world through him. Who is him? Through Jesus Christ. Let's continue. John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through who? Except through me, Christ. Fully man, fully God. That is the gospel. The gospel is, is only through one individual. It is through who? Jesus Christ. That's it. The gospel is very simple and yet very profound. Even a child can understand that it is through Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing farther, nothing more is the gospel. It's the good news. And the answer is Jesus Christ. So starting with point number one. Number one, the Bible tells us we all fall short. It doesn't matter how tall you are or how big you are. It doesn't matter if you're over seven feet tall. We, are, we all fall short. As the bird sees the human beings, individuals walking about and about, and they see and they don't see the height. Each person walking, all they see is the head or the hat, the cars. It doesn't matter how tall we think we are. It doesn't matter how accomplished we think we are or how smart we think we are. In the bird's eye view, from the point of God, when he sees us, that we all fall short of what? Letter A, of God's holy standard. B, of God's perfect glory. C, and have sin. We all fall short of God's holy standard. We all fall short of God's perfect glory. We all fall short and have sinned. And that is the reality of the human life. Romans 3 verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what it tells us. It reminds us. Again, going back to our point, we all fall short of God's holy standard. We all fall short of God's perfect glory. We all fall short and have sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul tells us here in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And right now, all we did, as we went over verse 23 in chapter 3 of Rome, all we did was just take a small bite. You may have a tattoo on your arm with Romans 3, 23. You may, this passage may be one of the passages that you know and you remember and that you have memorized. You're only taking a bite of reality, a small bite of reality of the gospel. But let's go ahead and get the whole plate of reality. Let's go from verse 22 to verse 26. A little bit before and a little bit after. It says in Romans 3, 
Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who what? To all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what color skin you come from. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are. It doesn't matter. It says there's no difference. And this righteousness is given through faith in who? In Jesus Christ to who? To all who believe. And that's the key, to believe. Do you believe? Verse 23 is what we just mentioned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, we know that. Verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus, by Christ Jesus. He's just reminding us over and over again that it's through Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Remember the day of atonement in the Old Testament? Where they have to make sacrifice to atone for their sins. Through the shedding of his blood, it's talking about the cross. Once and for all, to be received by faith as his blood washes away, as the blood washes away the sin, his blood washes away our sin. Is to be received by what? By faith to all who believe and to those who have faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because this righteousness is something that we put on. We don't have that righteousness when we are born. When you and I are born, when you see a baby born, an infant child, innocent, beautiful child, They're not born with righteousness. We need to put on the righteousness of God. As it says in Ephesians 6, we put on the breastplate of righteousness, and it is Christ's righteousness. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Verse 26, he did this. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So we are not left with a sad note in point number one. We all fall short of God's holy standard, of God's perfect glory, and have sinned. But Romans 3 is one of the passages out of many that reminds us that it is his righteousness. And it comes to those who what? Believe to those who have faith in who? Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Amen. Point number two, we have been created to turn to your neighbor and ask, why are you, why were you created? (laughs) Why are you here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Get out of here. We have been created to what? So point letter A, know our maker fully. B, know we are loved fully. C, we have true hope. Know we have true hope. D, to have true fellowship. E, to have true peace. F, to have true purpose. G, to have a true relationship. I know that this is a lot of sub points, but let's just take a moment to just go over each one. Do we truly know this and understand this?
that this is what we have been created for. We have been created to know our maker fully, to know we are loved fully, to know we have true hope, to know we have true fellowship, to know we, to have true peace, to have true purpose, to have a true relationship with who? With Jesus Christ. However, the reality is, just like what we talked about Romans 3.23, the reality is we are shipwrecked. Like Paul in Acts chapter 27. It's a story that a lot of people just skim over. But in Acts chapter 27, the men, Paul is on a boat, and the ship, the men are shipwrecked. Like the Titanic. And we understand from Acts 27, if you read it, it is not men who are the captain, for we are not in control of our circumstances. We could be the most experienced and have all the years of knowledge of how to navigate towards in the water. But when the storm comes, we are not the captain. We are not in control of our lives. Yes, we can try to prolong this life by eating healthy, exercising, trying to be strong, have a healthy mind, healthy body, to be healthy emotionally. But at the end of it all, when death comes, death comes to us all and we realize we are not the captain. We understand quickly here in Acts 27, it is not the man who is the captain, but it is the Lord. The Lord is our true anchor. We understand that he is our anchor. So in the beginning, when God created the world and us, he intended that we humans not grow proud like the Tower of Babel, thinking that we are the ruler of this world, that we are the gods of this world, that we are the kings of this world, but he created us with the Garden of Eden. God intended that we humans have peace and that originally we should have rest and that we should have full rule and have a genuine relationship with him. But however, the reality is that we have sinned and we are all sinners and have fallen short of his true glory. So in order for us to know where we need to go, you need to know your origin. You need to know where you came from. You need to know about Adam and Eve. You need to know about your fallen nature. We need to understand how we came to be where we are today. Why are we sinners? Why do we continue to sin? We need to understand that from the beginning, from Adam and Eve, the fallen nature of men and women is upon us. The fallen nature of sin is in us. We are shipwrecked. But as Christ was the anchor in Acts chapter 27. He is our anchor. He is our captain. He is our hope. So may we know our origin of how we came to be. Yes, we all fall short of God's holy standard, of God's perfect glory, and have sinned. And flip side of that coin, may we understand that we have been created to know our maker, to know we are loved, to know we have hope, to know we have fellowship, to know we can have peace, to know that we have a purpose, 
to know that we are called to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And after we understand that, may we go to point number three, the answer. What is the answer? For those who are listening and may not know the gospel, what is the answer? So what do I do? It's what I gave in point number one and point number two. Point number one, Jesus Christ is the answer, right? Romans chapter 3. Point number two, Acts 27. Jesus is our anchor. Jesus is our captain. So the answer, point number three, the answer is letter A, the gospel. Letter B, the good news. C, Jesus Christ. See, this message, the gospel, is so simple that even if a child were to be in this room and listening to this message, they can understand. In fact, they will understand it better because their hearts are pure. It has not been affected by all the troubles and the trials of this life. Some of us, our hearts, our heart has hardened. We have grown apathetic and proud. We have become one of those men who have created and built the Tower of Babel in our lives. You have created that wall of self-made title, self-made whatever, self-made millionaire, self-made. All we need to do is humble ourselves, lay down, lay down all of our crowns, all of our rights, and accept this answer. The answer is the gospel. It's the good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's it, folks. That's it. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, in Bugs Bunny? That's it, folks. <laughs> nothing more, nothing less. The short life, this is it. Nothing further, nothing else. We need to understand that each verse, the Bible that you have in your hands right now, Arlene doesn't have one. She has it in her head, in her heart, I guess. <laughs> We need to understand the Bible that you have in your hands. Each verse, each scripture, each scripture that was said here today, every chapter, every word points to one thing. One thing. One thing is what? A, the gospel. B, the good news. C, Jesus Christ. It shows us our nature. God gives us the Ten, ten Commandments to know that we are all sinners. That we all have missed the mark. But he doesn't leave us broken. He doesn't leave us where we are. He gives us the answer. He gives us a solution. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He gives us his righteousness. And it is within this framework of these three sub-points here, the gospel, the good news, Jesus Christ, it is within this framework we read the scripture. Whenever you read the Bible, you need to put on the glass, your glasses off these three sub-points, the gospel, the good news, Jesus Christ. And then you read. You read the Old Testament. You read it all the way from Genesis to Malachi to the major prophets, to the, book of, to the book of wisdom, to the major prophets, to the minor prophets, from Matthew, from the gospel to Revelation. You read it with the lens of the gospel, the good news, and Jesus Christ. 
understanding Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus, of how he came to be the 42 generations before Jesus came to be fully man and fully God. But we need to understand that Jesus was not limited, but he was there in the beginning, as John 1 tells us. And as we read Genesis 1, he was there from the beginning. Why? Because Jesus is God. And to read it any other way, to read the Old Testament any other way, is foolishness, the Bible teaches us. You read it with the lens of the gospel, the good news, and Jesus Christ. Any other way is to read it in foolishness. So understanding the title, the gospel in the book of Ruth, let's take a look at the setting of Ruth, the context of Ruth. It's found in chapter 1, verse 1. Ruth 1.1 says, In the days when the judges ruled. If you know anything about the scripture, we know that the book of judge, Judges is not something that we should be proud of. It's not something that we should follow. Judges was a dark time, one of the darkest of Israel's history. So in the days when the judges ruled, there were no kings. This is pre-king era. Before King David, before Solomon, before Saul, judges ruled this land. There was famine in the land. So as you read the book of Ruth, again, understanding the gospel, understanding the good news, if you just read, you say, oh, my favorite book is the book of Ruth. Any other book doesn't matter. And you just read the book of Ruth, and then you think, oh, there's a famine. Okay, I understand. Oh, there was a nice man, Boaz. Okay, wow, it's like a love story. Okay, great. Oh, okay, I understand. It's a rom-com. Okay, I got it. Okay, so you read it from that perspective. You're missing the mark. But if you understand the foundation of the gospel, we understand the beginning of Genesis 1. Just like Genesis 1, as the world, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As we understand, the complete, it's, it's the complete opposite of the creation of Adam and Eve, of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's Skip fast forward, verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So far, so good. Let's go to chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord is laying down his groundwork, his rule, the law. Don't eat it from this tree. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the 
in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Again, helper as that. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then in verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's how we were supposed to live. Not like Ruth 1, 1, where it says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. If you look at Ruth 1, 1, what does it say? What is the setting? It says there was a famine in the land. Complete opposite of what we just read in Genesis 1 and chapter 2. Would you say? Would you not agree? And the story goes on. We know the story. You know, Naomi, she loses everyone. You know, she loses her husband, Elimelech. And then the story quickly spirals out of control with the tragedy. The son, Malone and Kilian, right, they marry 10 years later, Orpah and Ruth, Moabite woman. And then the husbands also die. So we are left with three bitter women, lonely women. And in that context, Naomi, as we mentioned last Sunday, she says, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara, because the mighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The mighty has brought misfortune upon me. And it's good for us, if you have the Bible, please turn with me to Ruth 1.1 and stay there. And we'll keep the scripture in the days when the judges ruled, where there was a famine in the land. And then within that frame, I want us to understand the heart of Naomi and the heart of Ruth. Now, to get the whole context, again, we just took a bite in verse 20 to 21 in Ruth 1. But let's go ahead and get a fuller understanding. Let's get the whole plate going a little bit before and after, verse 8 to 22. If you have the Bible with me, you can go there, but we'll stay on here on the screen, but... If you have the Bible, you can go ahead and read and follow. It's up to you. But it says in verse 8, Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So she's saying, just go. You know, it's okay. You've been good. And they were good wives. Good. You were good to my sons. Go. Go marry another. It's okay. Just go. I'll be alone. It's okay. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. Verse 10, and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home. 
meaning go back. Moabite, go back to Moab. You're a Moabite, go back. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. So to understand the history of Moab and the Moabites, I believe Moabite, it comes from Lot and his two daughters. You know, Lot, Abraham's nephew, who chose to live in Sodom and Gomorrah, and then the husbands had died, and the two daughters, they were widows, and then they got their father drunk, they each took a turn, and they got pregnant, and that's where the Moabite comes from, the people of Moabite. This is where Ruth and Orpah comes from, so they are Moabites. So in the genealogy, when you look at Matthew 1, and I know that I'm doing a little bit of Bible study here, let us understand that these people came from a lineage that were not perfect. Their grandparents, the people before them, the family that they came from, they came from broken families. It wasn't perfect. And she says, return home, verse 12, my daughters, I am too old to have another husband. Go back, go back to Moab. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And they wept aloud again. And these two make two separate decisions. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. What we need to understand that when they are choosing to stay with Naomi, they are choosing to stay with Yahweh, God. They're, because it says here, go back like Orpah. Go back as your sister-in-law did. Not just to the people, but to what? To her gods. To your culture. To what you believe in. Go back with her. But take a look at how Ruth replied. Verse 16. Okay, again, Ruth is mentioned where? Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. We understand the story. At this, they wept aloud, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people, and her gods go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. And we need to memorize this passage because what Ruth says here, she's saying yes to God. And no to the other gods. She's saying yes to the Lord. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. 
So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Verse 20, don't call me Naomi. And this is the verse that we just read earlier. She told them, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So let us put ourselves in the situation of Naomi and Ruth. Widow woman, old, bitter, angry at life, and Ruth or Moabite, she's not even an Israelite. She's a foreigner. And she chooses to cling to her mother-in-law. There is no reason for her to, but she does. Because she's ultimately clinging onto God. Imagine what it would be like to be in their difficult circumstance. Not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Not knowing what's going to happen next month, the next year. But the book of Ruth is reminding us to not forget the goodness of God, the true purpose of God. Because the Bible teaches us to the ones he loves, he will not leave them where they are. He will not leave you in a broken state, but he will come to your rescue. He will rescue us. He, just as he has son, John, he has sent his son, just like John 3.16, John chapter 1. John 15, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to all those who believe shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you believe this and do you understand this? As it says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do we truly believe this and do we know it in our heart? Do we have the gospel in our hearts? And it's fulfilling the prophecy from the book of Genesis. And we know how it happens in Genesis. Adam and Eve, they fall. Eve, she eats of the fruit of the tree. She listens to the serpent and they rebel against God. And the fallen sin, the fallen nature and sin comes into this world. And this is the promise that God gave to the woman and to the serpent, to the devil. It says in Genesis 3, 14 to 15, he says, He will crush your head and you will strike his ear. What does that mean? It says in verse 15, I will put enmity. Enmity means hatred. Hatred. He's talking to who? God is talking to Eve. God is speaking to the woman, saying, I put enmity between you, the woman, and you, the serpent. Meaning there's going to be a fight. That's why, woman, be careful because the devil hates you. And you need to hate the devil as well because it's been prophesied. This is actually the first prophecy that's given, that's first gospel that's introduced in the Bible. It's called Proto-Evangelium, right? The first gospel introduced. It's saying he will crush your head. Who is he? It's talking about the offspring of the woman. Who is the offspring? Who is the ultimate? Who is the starter of all? Is Eve. And then we see from Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus. And then ultimately we know it's Abraham, right? So your offspring, ultimately your offspring 
where it says in verse 16 and 17, Jesus, we're introduced with the Messiah, is teaching us that there will be enmity. But woman, don't worry. Because your offspring will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will strike his heel right on the foot. So what's better? If you had the final move, like in a video game, right? Would you aim, or in a real fight, would you aim for the head or the toe <laughs> or the heel? Of course, the head. Whoever has the final blow to the head wins. And it's introducing to us that it's a spiritual battle. And serpent, you think you have won, but you will lose. And you have lost. Fulfilling the prophecy, just like what we went over in the book of Revelation. The great dragon, Revelation 12, 9, the great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil. So that's how we know the serpent is the devil because Revelation teaches us the serpent, the word, is the devil. And we know in context it's the devil. Or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. We know the end. The devil will lose. He will lose the war. Isaiah 14, 12, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star. It's talking about saying, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. Romans 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Paul, a completely different individual living in a different era. And he writes in Romans 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan, fulfilling the prophecy found in Genesis chapter 3. We see the connection there. And the reality is we too are hopeless beyond measure. Yes, we are sinners just like Adam and Eve. Yes. Yes, we are hopeless like Naomi. Yes, we are hopeless like Ruth. Yes, we are. But the Lord has not given up on us. He still has a plan, and he still has a purpose for us. We as readers, we must understand that, yes, we are lost beyond measure. But at the same time, we are not lost like Acts 27. Why? Because Christ is our anchor, and Christ is our hero. Christ is our Savior, and he is our Messiah. And unless we understand our fallen nature, unless we have faced defeat in our lives, unless we have faced hopelessness like Naomi, unless we have gone through trials and hardships, we will never fully understand and appreciate the sweet redemptive salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Because if you think that you are not a sinner, if you think you're a good person, then why is there any need for the gospel? You don't, because you will save yourself. But the Bible says no one is good. No one is saved unless you go through who? Through Jesus Christ. John 1, John 3, John 15. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. And who knows this truth of hopelessness? Who can understand the heart of Naomi? To those who are hopeless, who understand what hopelessness means, who under the depressed know what hopelessness means. 
The rich who thought riches would fill their emptiness, when they have money, they realize they have nothing actually. They understand what this hopelessness is. Especially when I moved to this, near this town area, when kids were wealthy and they had more money. You would think that they would have more happiness and joy, but in fact, it's the opposite. And the people will say, only people with money will say that. But it's true, whether you have money or not, there's hole within us, emptiness within us. The orphans know what this hopelessness is. The barren know what this hopelessness is. The single mothers, the single father, they know what this hopelessness is. Meaning every individual in every continent, every human being are searching for the truth and they desire a rescue, a hope. We are all shipwrecked like Acts 27. We are all in need of a captain, an anchor, a savior. We are all lost without the glory of God, without the righteousness of God. There's no hope for any single one of us. There's no hope for you. There's no hope for me. There's no hope for your children. There's no hope for your grandparents, your mother, your father. It doesn't matter. There's no hope for any anyone else and we are all searching for this truth all of us and we desire a rescue but to those who know the gospel to know to those who have the gospel the good news in Jesus Christ we understand that there is purpose to our trials that there is a purpose to this life that there is a purpose as to why you are even born in first place. We understand Psalm 139. That God knew you and had a plan for you even before you were born. While you were in your mother's womb, he had a plan and a purpose for you. And what is that purpose? It's to know your maker. It's to know and have the gospel, the good news, and to have Jesus Christ. Why? The question is why? Can we turn to a neighbor and say why? why? I'm finishing up. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. The key focal point verse we're going to focus on is found in Mark 5, 36. We're going to stay on Ruth 1. Again, that's the foundation, but here, Mark 5, 36. If you could turn with me there, what does Jesus say? He says, let's read it together. Ready? The words in red. Ready? One, two, three. Don't be afraid. Just what? Believe. Just believe what Romans 3 taught us. And if you look at the whole chapter of Mark 5, it's filled with so much. We are introduced with four characters, four main characters. Number one, the demon-possessed man, right, where Jesus goes to the other side. The second is the bleeding woman who's bleeding for 14 years. Number three, the lost, the lost father. Is it 14 years? How many years was she bleeding? Oh, 12. Yes. See, I was testing you. 12. So first one is the demon-possessed man, two, the bleeding woman, three, the lost father, and fourth, the dying, and actually the dead daughter, because she dies. All four hopeless individuals 
all different individuals, but they share the same thing. Death. Hopelessness. No hope. What does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. Just believe. And there is not one single person Jesus doesn't rescue in this chapter. Every single one is rescued. The demon-possessed man, check. The bleeding woman, check. The lost father, check. The dying dead daughter, check. Jesus accomplishes everything that he sought to accomplish. Because why? He is God. He is the gospel. He is the good news. He is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14. And ending with this, Ruth 2, 8 through 14. And Boaz, as I mentioned last Sunday, is the kinsman redeemer. As Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the woman who worked for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the woman. I've told the man not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the man have filled. So right away, Boaz is what? She's protecting Ruth as Christ protects us. He's making sure that she's, she doesn't go thirsty. He's making sure that she's protected from other men. You're in my presence. So my daughter, don't worry, you are protected. Verse 10, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? She's asking the question that we all ask. Why are you showing me this favor, God? Jesus, why have you died for me? Why do you care for me? Why do you take a notice of me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done may be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. Though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. This, my friends, is the gospel. And when we read the book of Ruth, we read it with the lens, again, with the gospel, the good news, and Jesus Christ. What Boaz did for Ruth and for a broken old widow, Naomi, 
Christ's death for you and for me. Amen. What is it that we must do, we ask? What is it that we must do? Here's the two scriptures for us. Found in Mark 5 and Ruth 1. Mark 5, 18 to 20. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed back to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your people, own people, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. And Ruth 1, 16 to 18, it says, But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. What is the... Similarity here, what are they both doing? They are what? Both clinging. They're clinging unto Jesus. They want to follow Jesus. And they want to live for God. So in closing, Christ is looking and searching for true worshipers. For those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So here today, as we're in our seats, as we have lived 20-something years, 30-something years, 40-something years, tomorrow not being guaranteed, will you beg, and will you cling, and will you humble yourself today to follow the Lord? Will we follow the nature of Christ, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, who being in very nature God, humbled himself, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Will we follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ? For every tongue in the end will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is God. Do you understand that at just the right time, that when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly? That when we were lost in our sins, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are deserving of wrath, and wrath we deserve because of Adam and Eve, and because of our fallen nature, and because of who we are. But thanks be to God and praise to God that we have been reconciled 
that we have been saved in this life, not just in this life, but in the life of eternity. Because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Do you truly believe this? And do you truly know this? And when we have the gospel in our hearts, have the gospel, the good news, and Jesus Christ. And with that, let's just come together now and as we're in our own seats without any distractions, let's just turn to the Lord right now and let's just take a moment to commit our hearts to Him. I don't know where you are or where you've been in terms of your walk and your journey with the Lord, but the Lord is urging you here to remind you here once again to look to Him and to rely on Him and to trust in Him. And we need to come right now for tomorrow is not guaranteed. We need to look to Him and look to the cross and ask Him to come to our rescue. Can we just come together and take this time? Let's pray together. every individual who have heard this message here today. And may we put on new set of eyes with the eyes of the gospel, with the eyes of the good news, and in the eyes of Jesus Christ. You live this short and finite life for your purpose and for your glory. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. 
put on the righteousness of Christ. Help us renew our lives. We believe. We We believe. We have faith. Be here today. In you, Lord. Lord, you are searching and looking. For true worshipers. Father, may you renew. Who will worship you in spirit and in truth. For they are the type of worshipers. The God that you seek. And to those who are broken. Ask those who are hopeless. You open your arms to invite those who are broken, who are hopeless beyond measure, to be yoked upon you, and to learn from you, and to know your heart, O God, for you are humble and gentle in heart. And you desire that, God, we find rest for our souls. And the only way we find rest in this life. Through resting in you, Jesus. May they rely on you more. Your yoke is easy. Their life. And your burden you is light. May we cling on to you. Help us As this demon possessed man who was healed clung on to you, O oh God. May we cling on to you. As Ruth clung on to now. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I die. And there I'll be buried. Lord, we choose today to live for Christ and to be buried in Christ. Even in death, there is a resurrection and there is a hope. That is found in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That you gave your one and only Son to die on the cross for us. Not to condemn us, but to save us through Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through Him, through Christ. Everything was made, and without Him, nothing has been made. In you, Christ is life. And you are the light for all of mankind. Your light will shine in our darkness. We love you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. Jesus, we need you. We all stand to our feet. We're going to sing the chorus. Lord, you are God with us. You always were and will be. Let's sing together and let's worship together. Lord, you are God with us. You always were and will be when we were hopeless. You revealed your kingdom to us. You are a friend to those who are frail and weak. You lift up our lives when we are Lord, you are God with us. You always were and will be 
when we were hopeless you revealed your kingdom to us you are a friend to those who are frail and weak you lift up our lives when we were Jesus, Emmanuel, our God with us forever. Jesus, Emmanuel, our God with us forever. Father, thank you once again for dying on the cross for us, for giving unto us the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand here today joyful knowing that God, that our soul is intact and God, that we have hope eternal, not just in this life, but in the eternal life in heaven with you, O Lord. Thank you for giving us a new name, a new identity. And thank you, Lord, for allowing us to walk with you and to dine with you and to be yoked with you. Lord, I know that, God, we are at times rebellious and we get consumed in the attack of the enemy in our thoughts and we get lost and we fall in sin. But, Lord, thank you for the hope and the restoration and the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. That when we run to you, and when we turn to you, and when we go on our knees, and as we repent to you, Lord, you accept us, and you receive us, not because we are any good, but because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see us, and you see the cross, the death, and the blood, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you live, we live. And therefore, when we pray, there is power in our prayers, for you love us and you know us. We give you all the glory and we give you all the honor. Pray all these things 
In your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. With that, let's close our service with our closing song, The Path of Life in Jesus. Let's sing together. service with our final prayer of benediction. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, do not remember the sins of our youth and our rebellious ways, but according to your love, remember us, for you, Lord, are good. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, present you blameless, pure, and holy before his presence. May you know and encounter the unending love of the Father, and may the Lord continue to pursue you, guide you, and lead you forevermore. And as God's people, we pray, amen, amen. and amen. amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. I love you. I will see you all in the back.